This is the Dan Grasso Show on 98.7 ESPN. Programming reminder, no show for us tomorrow because we have Ranger Hockey season opener against the Tampa Bay Lightning. But we'll be back with you on Wednesday at our normally scheduled time. We will lead you right into Padres-Dodgers game number two. I'm sure all the Met fans are going to be dying to watch that one, of course, seeing the Padres. But uh, Wednesday is a 7 to 8.30 vehicle. So that's when we will be back together again after tonight, you and I. You know, we were talking about this during the break. Before we get back to the phone calls, we were talking about this during the break. And I've had some fun with it on social media. And it's amazing how many people, like, take offense to this. And, 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 you know, like, A, they can't take a joke, but B, they really can't allow themselves to see the forest through the trees, as they say. The Timmy Trumpet stuff with the Mets and Edwin Diaz. And look, I'm not sitting here saying that's the reason they got beat this weekend and that their season is over. But the Mets are an organization that does not really have a leg leg to stand on when it comes to having success, right? And this rich story tradition. They aren't. So much so that next year probably, like I said, they're going to put up a wild card banner up at Citi Field. Hey, we made the playoffs. Wild card. Yay. Not that we blew a ten and a half game lead in the division. No, we made the playoffs and lost at home in the wild card round. I don't know if you can fit all that stuff on the banner. They should, for accuracy purposes. But that stuff they were doing with Timmy Trumpet, inviting him over, trying to capitalize on the Edwin Diaz phenomenon late in the summer, right? And I had a problem with it then. I remember the night it was happening. We were sitting here doing the show, and I was destroying them for it at the end of August because Edwin Diaz only comes into the game, or more often than not, he comes into the game when the Mets have a lead, right? Safe situation. So you got the best team in baseball record-wise come into your building, and that's when you decide that Timmy Trumpet's going to be there, and you're going to put together this whole elaborate pregame orchestrated thing. Like, you're almost guaranteeing that Edwin Diaz is going to have a save situation that night, meaning the Mets are going to have a lead against the best team in the sport in the Dodgers. And I said it was like poking the bear, tugging on Superman's cape, looking, you know, kind of touching the money before you've actually won it, whatever analogy you want to use. It just didn't give off a good vibe. And they were 0-for-1 the night that Timmy was there, and they ended up losing the game. So he didn't get the play. He didn't get to perform. The next night, Mets actually went out there and won the game. Diaz came in, and Timmy got to play his trumpet and social media and all the fans. They thought it was the greatest thing in the world. But this Met team then goes into the month of September, and I think it's well-documented, never were able to recapture that level again, ever. And in the biggest games of the season, nowhere to be found. But I'm glad I hope they got a big boost from the PR opportunity. I hope Timmy Trumpet benefited everything. And people got on Jerry Seinfeld when he tweeted it out. And he said exactly the same thing. That you haven't got there yet. You haven't won anything. You think, like, if there was a football equivalent to it, you think that Bill Belichick would allow something like that to happen? If they wanted to do that, or if the Patriots had, like, their version of it or something? You think that Bill Belichick would allow that? Before anything was won, anything was clinched, anything was guaranteed. It's just, it's a bad vibe. You're messing with the baseball gods. 
Eli in Washingtonville. He's up next here on 98.7 ESPN. Eli, how you doing? Hey, Dan. What's, how's it going, man? Um, you know I'm a Yankee fan, uh, you know. Uh, but listen, just to say, just to elaborate on the Mets thing, I can't believe like I'm hearing a whole bunch of Mets calls and people bashing Buck Showalter. Like this, I would kill to have this guy as the manager of the Yankees. And like at the beginning of the season when um, Buck Showalter went and and you know he made a, a, a call that not even the Empires knew the rule and yep. everybody was praising this guy like he was the next thing. The greatest thing is Bill Belichick. But Bill Belichick is baseball. And now where it's not his fault that the Mets don't hit. Like, that was the, if anything, blame the, the GM. That goes out there. And like you said, th- this is the, 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 the eight time. This is the time where you're supposed to put all your chips in. Like, all your, you know, this the, the Grubs probably last year. This is the time where you're supposed to go all in and get whatever play you need to to, to fulfill this this cha- this championship run. Then you fill the, the team with mediocre players like this guy Vogel Fat that is like the, the most out of shape baseball player in, in baseball. And this this is the type of the players that you add on to this team when you have uh, a Scherzer that, that that's that's getting old and the Grom that's leaving next next season and. You said all the other pieces that are, that are about to be gone. This was the time where you need to blame the GM for not getting the pieces you need. And listen, you know that I'm not a Brian Cashman fan, and I think Brian Cashman did a horrible job at the trade deadline too. So we might be joining, you know, the Mets in the <clears throat> if not this round, the second round. So you know, it's it's not Buck Showalter's fault. I I just I can't believe Mets fans are going to this to this extent. Eli, thanks for the phone call. Um... I got to be honest with you, be 100% honest with you. I was talking to Met fans today, and they were down on Buck, really down on Buck. I was surprised to see that report today coming from Mike Puma of The Post, right? But we needed assurances that Buck Showalter was safe and Billy Epler safe. Like, you really thought that Buck Showalter would be fired after what happened here to San Diego? Really? After a hundred? I mean, say what you want. 101 wins in the regular season. They did more good than bad. You want to say they collapsed down the stretch? Fine. Be my guest. Like I said, I'm not standing in your way. But I never thought for a second that his job would be in jeopardy. Right? Epler, you know what? We can have a conversation. I'm not trying to throw anybody out to the unemployment line. But the moves that they made at the deadline... They came up empty. I think we can all agree on that one. All. Brian and Wayne up next here on 98.7 ESPN. Brian, how you doing? Yeah, I'm doing pretty good. I'm actually held on this long. I'm trying to put my son to sleep. But anyway, yeah. I'm, I'm a big fan of just challenging the, you know, challenging the pitcher. Why not? I mean, if you don't got the stuff, then that's good. But you need an objective means of measuring, not just subjectively the umpire just scratching his nose, cleaning his boogers in the cold wind, then touching somebody's face. I, I'm in the medical field. That doesn't fly. You, you need something maybe that picks up turpentine or some swab. I saw that years. I saw the same thing. But I, I think you need something, some objective measure, not just go in there. We all agree we all missed it, but we're going to say there's nothing there. Because, I mean, now I'm challenging the integrity of the game. I mean, the umpires could say, hey, listen, yeah, we missed it, but let's say we, don't, we didn't. 
It's so hard. You, you, you know what I mean, Brian? Like, I can't believe – like, that stuff to me, I got to be honest, I, I have, like, no interest in sitting here trying to go over with a fine-tooth comb what somebody may or may not be using on the mound. Here, I, look, when we got into this whole thing with the spider tech and, with the, and the illegal substances and with the umpires checking them and so on and so forth, the thing to me is if I'm a hitter – I want to know that the guy who's standing 60 feet, 6 inches away with a weapon in his hand, that's what the baseball is because it can do serious damage, I want to make sure that he knows exactly where it's going and he doesn't hit me in the head, God forbid, to, you know, to inflict some serious damage on me. That's what I'm making sure. But they put this new thing in to where the pitchers are getting checked every single time they come off the mound, back to the dugout. You would think that enough is enough. You would think that that's doing a good enough job. And remember, they found nothing on Musgrove last night. Nothing. They tried. Nothing. Chris in the Bronx, up next here on 98.7 ESPN. Christopher, how are you? Hey, Dan, how are you? Always great to talk to you. Um, Chris. I think think that Buck Showalter has to take some of the heat for this collapse. And I know we agree it's a collapse now because when I spoke to you last week and said it was after they died in Atlanta, you said we'll talk about it on Monday if they didn't get through. So, And, you know, Buck Showalter's been revered by the talking heads in baseball ever. I mean, even I'm a Yankee fan and through the nineties and two thousands, as they won those world series, I had to listen to people say, well, it's really not Tory and Cashman. This is more so Walter and stick Michaels team. And when he signed with the Mets, happy for the Mets, but you would have thought he was going to walk across the Hudson instead of taking a GW into Manhattan. And listen, I had a great season. He did a good job, but you can't go to Atlanta and lose three games. You're telling me as a coach he couldn't scratch out a run, put on a hit and run, bunch a guy over, do something to win a game and avoid the series, and he couldn't get his team through this series. And his big move was to come out and ask if the pitcher's got Vaseline on his ears. I just think it was a weak look, and he looked really bad in the series. Like it wasn't uh, – Chris, and thanks for the phone call. I, you know, as far as, you know, Buck in this series, right – realistically, when your pitchers are going to go out there, like Max Scherzer on Friday night, Bassett. See, I thought that he was relatively quick with the hook for Bassett. Now, I know the back-to-back walks might have given you some pause, and you said, oh, well, you know what's going to happen next. But, I mean, what could he have done differently? You know, what could he have done differently? He's only using with what he has to work with. It's not his fault that the guy's going out there in this lineup and not doing anything at all, right? There's another, I mean, and how about Marte? Marte was a guy that we didn't even know if we would see him, yet he goes out there and guts it out this series and actually was one of their better players, remarkably enough. Marte's a gamer. But what they had to do with the deadline, and I don't think they were aggressive enough at the trade deadline in hindsight, because given everything that we talked about earlier, how you have all these pitchers who were free agents, Brandon Nimmo, Edwin, we haven't even talked about Edwin Diaz, Edwin Diaz, Seth Lugo, Adovino, Trevor May, um, Trevor Williams, Joely Rodriguez. And think about that. That's like 80% of their pitching staff. When you look at the rotation and the bullpen, that's a free agent at the end of the year. That being said, they should have been even more aggressive at the deadline to go out and get some more assurances and some more certainty as to what is going to help them get this World Series. And they took kind of like a passive-aggressive approach. Ah, well, Tyler Naquin. Ah, Darren Ruff. 
Ah, uh, Daniel Vogelbeck. Ah, uh, Michael Givens. Buck had him in Baltimore. Right? How'd those work out? How'd they work out? One guy wasn't even on the damn roster for this series. Ruff couldn't get a hit to save his life. Remember, the guy they traded Darren Ruff for, another right-handed bat, was a hell of a lot better than Darren Ruff with his new team and J.D. Davis with the Giants. That's where you can point the finger. Not even so much what happened in these three games. That's where you point the finger. August the 1st, the trade deadline, the moves the Mets made or didn't make, ultimately came back to bite them. 800-919-3776. We'll finish up with the Met calls, then we'll get into the football at 8.30. Jets, Giants, boys, is New York football season turning into something, dare I say, fun? Dan Grass's show on an overreaction Monday, 98.7 ESPN. This is the Dan Grasso Show on 98.7 ESPN. Hi, it's Mike Greenberg letting you know ESPN Bet is ready to take you through all the biggest sports moments this spring. The official sportsbook of ESPN has exclusive offers and markets from Scott Van Pelt, Stephen A. Smith, and me, plus many more. From the playoff intensity to finally getting out to the ballpark, there's no better time for sports fans. Sign up today. New users get a bet reset up to $1,000 in bonus bets if your first bet doesn't win. Download ESPN Bet today. What a play. Must be 21 plus and present in select states. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Terms and conditions apply. See app for details. This podcast is proud to be supported by Jets Pizza, the number one pick in Detroit-style pizza. Why? It's simple. Jets is better. With the thickest, crispiest, cheesiest Detroit-style pizza in the country, there's no competition. Right now, get $5 off any eight-corner pizza with code 8SAVE. That's the number eight, S-A-V-E. Go to jetspizza.com to learn more and find a location near you. Again, try Jets' signature eight-corner pizza and get $5 off with code 8SAVE. That's the number eight, S-A-V-E. Jets Pizza. Better because it has to be. But I don't think I've ever heard Jake say once during this season that he wants to be here. I don't know if the Mets have bothered asking. I don't know if he's conveyed that to the Mets. I don't know if his agent has conveyed that to the Mets. But I don't ever remember DeGrom saying he's saying he I I know he said he's enjoyed his time here, but I don't think he has ever come out and said definitively, I want to still be here. I want to be a Met. This is financially motivated, I think, largely. You know, when you see a guy on your own team making $43 million a year and you're not, you see the yo-yo across town, and maybe that's a little strong, but you see the guy across town and Garrett Cole making a lot more money than you. And you're saying, well, I got two Cy Young Awards, right? I had a one-whatever ERA last year before I got hurt. I'm good. I'm really good. You know, pitch big playoff games before. I'm good. So I'm sure that he wants to be compensated because, remember, his earning potential as an athlete and a pitcher, he's, you know, got less than 10 years to be able to do that. He wants to maximize it, as he should. But how much of that decision to opt out is also related to the fact that maybe he just wants a change of scenery and doesn't want to pitch here any longer. And I think the Mets and the fan base have to prepare themselves for that distinct possibility. Stephen Queens, up next, here on 98.7 ESPN. What's up, Stephen? Hey, Dan, what's up? Thanks for taking the call. Stevie. Um, I wanted, hey, I wanted to talk about, um, like you said, there's just like, going to be a ton of roster holes to fill up next year. You figure Carrasco... Uh, Bassett's probably going to leave the way he was talking the other day at the press conference, and DeGrom are probably all going to be gone. 
which leaves you with Walker in the rotation, Scherzer, and um, I guess McGill. Well, Walker, wait a sec, um, Steve. Walker's got a $7 million player option. He might decline that and go – he's likely going to decline that oh, and go wow. free agency. Somebody – think about it. Look at it this way. $7 million for Walker next year. It, let's say he signs a one-year deal with a team next season. He's getting more than $7 million. Oh, for sure. Yeah, probably double that at least, yeah. Um, I, I, you're right. We don't have many prospects to give away either. And that's another bad part because we kind of give away some just to get these one-year guys um, like Bassett last year. I, I, I think the Mets have to go for a guy like Zach Allen uh, from Arizona to me. I think he, I know, no one's going to replace the ground, let's be honest. But if you can get someone close that's, you know, to me, still underrated but not going to cost you like an arm and a leg money-wise, I'll go with Zach Allen. Um why would Arizona want to move him, though? I just don't – I don't know. To me, I mean, I guess they're a team on the up-and-coming, but – They are. Um, they are. Trust me, they yeah. are. They got young talent. You already saw a couple of those guys this year. Corbin Carroll, the outfielder who got called up, got some experience. That outfield looks like it's going to be one of the better ones in baseball for a long time. Zach Allen is a guy who's still affordable. He's still someone that isn't a free agent yet. I believe he is, let's see, one, two. Oh, yeah, he's still got two more years of control at the minimum, Steve, and thanks for the phone call. Arizona's going to look to make some moves. You know, they've been active in the past. When they feel the time is right, that ownership group out there will spend money. And I think the dime, I mean, we are very early in the pro. We're not even in the offseason. Arizona's one of those teams that, you know, next year when the baseball season starts, you'll be talking about, hey, watch out for them in the National League as to be a club that could even contend for a playoff spot. They're not the Dodgers. They're not going to be the Padres. But I can easily see Arizona, let's say, be at the worst, the third-place team in the NL West next year, which could have them in the conversation for a playoff spot. Frankie in the car up next here on 98.7 ESPN. Frankie, how are you? Hey, Dan, my fellow Jets fan, what's going on? Frankie, tell me. I am doing great. What's going on, bud? So I'm a diehard Yankee fan, but I'm going to just chime in on the Mets situation here. I've been listening this morning, listening to Rick, and a lot of Mets fans calling in and bashing Buck, but let's be let's be honest. Like, What were the expectations for the Mets at the beginning of the season? They wanted to be a playoff team, be competitive. They definitely overachieved all of that with 101 wins, and – I feel like fans calling and bashing Buck, it's, it, the, unfortunately, it's not that the match collapsed. It's just that the Braves just went on like that crazy tear that couldn't be beaten. And honestly, even if the Mets got past the Padres, they were not beaten. They were not, they were not going to beat uh, the Dodgers or the Braves. So if I'm the Mets fans, I'll take it as a – yeah, they're disappointed they lost yesterday, but take it as a building, like a building step for next season. Like, you know what, we won 101 games this year. Frankie, like I said, I, I don't know if you can look at it that way, man. And, and I thank you for the phone call. And, and it, yeah, I, I agree with you about the Braves. Agree with you about the Braves a thousand percent. The Braves took the division, right? You win 101 games, you don't necessarily collapse. The Braves were just really damn good. The Braves were the best team in the sport since June 1st. They took the division from you. But, but, that Braves series, all you had to do was win one of the three. Win one, treat them as playoff games because that's what they were. All they had to do was win one of them. They couldn't. If they had won, they would have controlled their destiny and won the division. But these were also playoff games at home against San Diego, and they got bounced in the first round. And as I said, the six biggest games of their season, they lost five out of six. And DeGrom, Scherzer, Bassett, Lost five out of six games. We could call this a collapse. 
They woefully underachieved. You look at some of the teams that are still playing right now. The Phillies. Phillies have a game tomorrow. Think about that. Think about it if you're a Met fan. You kept track of the Phillies all year, right? They fired Joe Girardi early in the season. Bryce Harper missed a chunk of time. They battled injuries. Philadelphia was like the worst defensive team you've ever seen in the history of the major leagues. They couldn't catch a cold. They couldn't catch COVID if they were unvaccinated. That's how bad Philadelphia was. They won 87 games. And they got a game tomorrow. And the Mets are home. Right? They got a game. Cleveland, I know they won their division. But Cleveland was always that little engine that could. Cleveland was the youngest team in baseball this year. Youngest team. They got a game tomorrow. In the Bronx. Mets are going home. I like Seattle. I like Seattle a lot. But Seattle hadn't been in the playoffs in 21 years. They only won 90 games this year. Not 101. They got a game tomorrow. They went up to Toronto. Hostile environment. To a new country. And they took care of business this weekend. Mets are home. Richard in Manhattan, up next, 98.7 ESPN. Richard, how are you? Hi, Dan. Dan, you know the Mets did not sell out last night, even though yep. today was Columbus Day and most people were off? That's yeah, amazing. Rich, I talked about it earlier, and I, the only thing that I can attribute that to, and, and aside from the price of the tickets, which are insane, but the other thing is if you can only, let's say, go to one game or you're buying tickets for only one game – Remember, game three of the series was not guaranteed. So I think right, a lot of people a wanted to make sure. Right? A lot of crowd. people wanted to make sure you go to maybe game one or game two, you were hoping in a perfect world you wouldn't even need game three. Right. So this was more of a walk-up crowd type yeah. of thing. But still, it was at night. You had plenty of time. You had all day. And it just didn't get. You know, after Marte got, went down about the 140th game of the season, that's when the season went downhill. And then they lost three out of four to Atlanta. It was, you know, you saw the signs. So it really wasn't disappointing. It was more sad than anything. And the way they played in two out of the three games. And you made the point last, uh, last week about a warm weather team like San Diego coming here in the colder weather and the big advantage for the Mets, which it should have been, was yep. not an advantage at all. And uh, it was sad more than anything. But uh, they gave us a good run for 140 games. Buck certainly wasn't to be blamed for this game, for this uh, thing. They weren't good enough. They were not good enough to win. After 140 games, they were. Uh, Marte went down, and that was it. And uh, you, you saw it. You saw it against Chicago, Pittsburgh, Atlanta. They weren't going to win. And we were hoping for San Diego a miracle. If they would have beaten San Diego and then lost to the Dodgers, it might have been okay. It would have been a salvageable season. But now this was a disgrace what happened. But, you know, we saw the signs coming, so we can't, we can't say. You know, Dan, let me ask you, why don't we have a game today? Why do we need today off? Why aren't the Yankees playing the Indians today? I'm sure TV is behind it. I'm sure uh, TV is the reason. Then they're playing tomorrow, and they're not yeah. playing on Wednesday. Right. The National League is playing Wednesday, and TV is playing. Um, and then because, listen uh, to this. Yeah. After the Yankees play Cleveland in game four in Cleveland, the next day they got to fly and play in New York again. Meanwhile, while they're in New York, they split a game the day off. It makes no sense. They're dragging it out, and it's, it's stupid the way the schedule is, really. Well, the and reason they you... split up the days, Richard, and thanks for the yeah, phone call, for example, that... the next couple of days, like, every, you got to have travel days built in, right? So 
everybody plays tomorrow, the two National League and the two American League. Then on Wednesday, they give the American League off and the two Nationals play. And then on Thursday, when the American League returns, that's when the National League uses as its travel day to go to the new venues. And then vice versa, they'll you know get off and they, or the American League will be off. And it, you know, They want to make sure that you don't have too many days where there's zero baseball. Today, I can understand it because the other thing you got to remember about today is that you got Monday Night Football, right? They don't want to go up against the NFL if they can help it, right? You got Monday Night Football. But TV wants to clear it, let the series kind of breathe from one another, get some space, digest what you just watched, prepare for the upcoming series. It all goes hand in hand. But we'll get into the baseball a little bit later on. We'll preview the Yankees, Guardians, some thoughts on that. But when we come back, I mean, we've been sitting here talking about the bad for the last 90 minutes and the Mets and the opportunity that they let squander. How about some good? You know, let's, let, let, let's all cheer up a little bit because I got to be honest with you. In the five years I've been doing the Jets, I may not have had a more fulfilling, gratifying, and fun day at that stadium than you had yesterday with the game, the pomp and circumstance, before, the after, everything. And oh, by the way, it was a damn good trip to London for the Giants as well. New York football, the surprise of the NFL in 2022. We talk about that when we return. Dan Gross' show, 98.7 ESPN. This is the Dan Grosser Show on 98.7 ESPN. Yesterday at MetLife Stadium, all part of a 40-17 Jet win over the Miami Dolphins. Sounds good, doesn't it? Dan Grosser Show on this overreaction Monday on 98.7 ESPN. And boy, was that fun. It really and truly was. You know, we all talked about how important the game was and the significance of being able to win a home game, being able to win a division game, things that this team hadn't done in a while. Win back-to-back games. You know, start stacking wins together. You have the big come-from-behind win in Pittsburgh last week. Now what do you follow it up with? Another disappointing performance at home, which they were two for two for doing against Baltimore and Cincinnati. No, it was different. It was different. Now, it didn't come easy. You know, you look at the final score and you thought, oh, well, you know, it it was lopsided. It was easy. No. I don't know how many times throughout that game yesterday, Greg and I are sitting there, Greg Buttle, of course, and just lamenting the fact, remember, that was a 1917 game going into the fourth quarter. And this is Skylar Thompson, the Dolphins' third-string quarterback who's playing because Teddy Bridgewater got knocked out first play of the game. And we're saying, boy, how are they letting this team hang around? Why don't they put them away? And the dangerous part about it is, as you well know, the longer you let a team hang around, you're increasing the likelihood that they maybe could walk out of there with a win because all it's going to take is a fluky bounce of the ball, something crazy, and then before you know it, you look at the scoreboard, you're losing. But they made plays again, and that one that you just heard there was a big one. You know, Dolphins missed that field goal from 54 yards with the wind blowing a little before that. And the Jets be able to put together drives in that fourth quarter. I mean, it's amazing what this team has done in fourth quarters now the last couple of weeks. 14 unanswered in Pittsburgh to win that game. Yesterday, they outscored the Dolphins 21 to nothing in the final 15 minutes. Jets are the highest scoring fourth quarter team in the NFL right now through five weeks. Think about that. I mean, I can't tell you in my lifetime how many times I've seen them lose games with leads in the fourth quarter. Now the shoe is on the other foot. You know, they're winning those types of games. And I know it's only three and two, and I know that there's still a lot of season left, but 
you know, now you're starting to maybe have a different interpretation of this team. Remember, we're past that first quarter of the season. We're starting to get an idea of how teams truly are going to be. All the rust, all that preseason, leftover, hangover type of garbage is gone. You know, maybe what we saw yesterday from the Packers in London and what we've seen from them so far through five weeks where they really have not been explosive offensively, maybe that's who they are. Maybe it's just going to be one of those seasons. And you look at the schedule for the Jets, Green Bay next week. Then you go to Denver, which does not look as daunting as it maybe did at the beginning of the season. New England coming into your building at the end of the month. And then you got Buffalo. Then you got a bye week. So if I said to a Jet fan right now, how, you know, how confident are you that this team can split the next four games? Go two and two. I think that's realistic. Don't you? Go two and two. Maybe get a split in the next two road games, Green Bay, Denver. Take care of business against the Pats at home. And then you go into that bye week at five and four. Can you imagine that? Five and four, which means you're relevant come Thanksgiving. You're relevant come December. And the post-Thanksgiving portion of the schedule is supposed to be a little bit more accommodating and a bit friendlier when you have the Jacksonvilles and the Chicagos and the Detroits and the Seattles. Like, wow. I was having that conversation with somebody today. Jets have 12 games left in the season. Let's say they split them. All right, think about this. This is 500. 500 ball, 6 and 6. You're going to finish 9 and 8. You're going to finish with a winning record. That one was big yesterday. Miami had beaten you four straight times. That's gone. You'd lost 12 straight games in the division. Gone. Back-to-back wins for the first time in 2 years. You put up 40 for the first time since 2018. You didn't turn the ball over at all yesterday and forced more turnovers like the one you just heard when we started the segment there. And how about Brees Hall? How about the kid? Almost 200 yards of total offense. You know, I sat there and I was saying, it's amazing how many post-game shows that we did over the last couple of years where people want to, you know, angry fans after another disappointing performance, they want to call up and blame this guy, blame that guy, fire this guy, fire that guy. I don't know, being objective about it, you think Joe Douglas has done a good job the last couple of drafts, do you? When each and every week you're talking about guys that generally are part of the last two draft classes having a major impact on a win? I mean, you know who they are. I don't have to sit there and name them all. Remember once upon a time where one of those like analytics people said that when the Jets traded up for Elijah Vera Tucker in the 2021 draft, it was one of the worst decisions on draft night? You don't give up all that or whatever the Jets gave up to move up to, to draft a guard. Remember that? Well, he's a pretty good guard, first of all, but what they probably didn't think and what the analytics probably didn't tell them, and that's why numbers, you can't really rely on a computer to decide if you know moves are worthy or not or players are worthy. The computer didn't know that not only is he a pretty good guard, it turns out he's a pretty good left tackle, he's also a pretty good right tackle too. 
Elijah Vera Tucker's played three different positions in the last three weeks on the offensive line. This is the NFL. Not seventh grade peewee football down at the local park where, you know, a couple of kids, you know, one kid got sick, the other kid got grounded by his parents because he didn't do his homework so he couldn't come to football that day. No, this is the NFL. Highest level of football. You got this dude starting at three different positions on the offensive line and going out there and kicking absolute butt as if he's been doing it for 10 years. But I get it. It was a bad trade. Bad trade. You don't want those guys, right? You don't, you don't move up. You don't be aggressive to go get guys like that. I get it. My mistake. Brees Hall was the number one rated running back by most people in this upcoming draft. They got him in the second round. He was still there. Second round. Garrett Wilson, we've already seen him flash. Jermaine Johnson's done some things already, rushing the passer. How about the quarterback? Satisfied with the quarterback yet? Are we still calling him a bust? Are we still thinking that, you know, he's not going to work out? It's just so funny. Like, you have these bitter individuals and people that just want to hate and throw shade and all these things, you know, that think they know it all on social media. And I've been reading some stuff the last couple of days. How, oh, yeah, the Jets are 3-2, and two, but the Jets can't be that good, right? I mean, look who they beat. They beat the Browns. Jacoby Brissett was the quarterback that day, and it took a miracle for them to do it. They beat the Steelers, who had Mitchell Trubisky and Kenny Pickett coming off the bench in his first NFL appearance. And then yesterday they got lucky because Teddy Bridgewater, after one play, got knocked out, and they played a third stringer in Skylar Thompson. That's the only reason the Jets are 3-2. and two. Well, I mean, you can look at it that way if you want. I prefer to look at it as the Jets have only had their own starting quarterback for two games this year, and they're 2-0. and oh. Right? They're 2-0. and oh. And they played, like, really, really good football in the fourth quarter of both of those games. Like, when games are usually won or lost. And yesterday, they led wire to wire. I know it got a little bit close there, as we said, going into the fourth, but then they pulled away. Wire to wire. And the quarterback looks kind of confident, doesn't he? Making plays when he has to, not making critical mistakes. Playing behind five new offensive linemen again where they're wearing name tags because he's not used to seeing them play those particular positions. Jets might be all right. You know, Jets might have figured this thing out here. Might be a fun season after all, don't you think? I guess it's a good thing that they didn't go ahead and cancel the season and fire everybody after the first, what, two, three games. Like a lot of the fans wanted to, the ones that call us at least. Long year. But enjoy this. Yesterday, yesterday, I cannot reiterate it enough how much of a fun day that was, top to bottom, start to finish. I thought that was like our best broadcast, too, personally. Namath was great, as usual. We had him on set in the pregame show. Carl Lawson joined us in the post. It was, it was a lot of fun, a lot of fun. And now these games, with each passing week, they take on a greater level of significance. Right? Green Bay's already talking in that locker room as if, oh, my God, they can't lose to the Jets. Jari Alexander of the Packers, you heard him. He said after the game yesterday, after they lost to the Giants. Now, we'll be all right. I'm not freaking out yet. But if we lost next week, oh, man, th- that would stink. Now, what does he mean by that? Because it would be like another consecutive loss because they're losing at Lambeau Field? Or is it because it's the Jets? Better be careful. Careful what you wish for. 
The Jets are a pretty good football team. They got a lot of talent, a lot of young talent, you know? Guys who the rest of the league is taking notice. How about the cornerback? He ain't too bad, is he? Our buddy Sauce? Not too shabby. Boy, Quinton Williams is good, right? He's maybe looking like a guy who was worthy of the number three overall pick. Basically, he's good for a sack a game now. Recovering a fumble. Carl Lawson's starting to get some of that burst back. You saw him off the edge yesterday. Strip sack. They got players. They got players on this team. One at a time. Lambo next. But if you're a fan, get excited. You're allowed to. You've waited long enough. And I want to hear from you next. 800-919-3776. We'll get to the Giants a little bit later. Don't worry, we're not going to forget about you as well. Overreaction Monday. Dan Grasser Show, 98.7 ESPN. This is the Dan Grasser Show on 98.7 ESPN. Still got to enjoy what happened yesterday in MetLife Stadium. We will start it off with our good pal Ira in Staten Island, who's up next here on 98.7 ESPN. Ira, good evening. How are you? Hey, good evening, Dan. Good pleasure to listen to you. And yeah, yeah, I'm, I, I can't think about the Packers right now. I know it's coming no. up, but I'm still enjoy, I'm still enjoying yesterday. And you know all the points you made about the talent that Douglas has brought in. And you know it's funny. I I I was one of the few that you know what the not getting Hill was a blessing in disguise because if we had gotten Hill, we're not talking about Brees Hall going for 200 yards yesterday. And the Vera Tucker move. Listen. Right now, he's the MVP of the team as of right now. I mean, what he's done, and it's funny, I ran through the game a little earlier today, mm-hmm. and it, it, the offensive line is starting to gel. I mean, you've got to give Brown a lot of credit. He's playing with a harness. I don't know how long he's going to last. But you know what? If he, if he holds up, I'm leaving Tucker at right tackle. I'm leaving Herberg at right guard. When Fan comes back, fine. He, he, he's a good backup at that point. But if there's chemistry, I'm not disrupting it. And as for the defense, you know, I don't know if it's because it was a third-string quarterback or if that was a game plan going in, but that's the first time I saw Salah and Herbert start getting creative with the defense. Maybe they're feeling more comfortable with the players. But I just saw the alignment, putting three defensive linemen on one side, uh, another tackle by himself on the right. Uh, you know, playing extra safeties. Well, Ira, that's what they were doing. They were playing nickel most of the game. They were playing nickel most of the game because, you know, they wanted to try to make sure to limit the Dolphin explosive plays, which you know, of course, they can go off at any minute with those wide receivers. But the byproduct is when you play nickel and you have the extra DB on the field, you're leaving yourself a little bit susceptible in the run game. And you saw Miami have some success churning out yards on the ground, especially with Raheem Mostert. And I thought that... The ground game for the Dolphins is really what was kind of keeping them in it for the first three quarters. So it was kind of like live by the sword, die by the sword. It was a tricky proposition, but they didn't give up any explosive plays in the pass game either. And that was the key, and that's what Rex did in the uh, wildcard game in, in Indianapolis. He gave the Colts a running game, but, you know, he took away part of the passing game from Manning. But, you know, but going back just to yesterday, um, it's amazing because I see this team is starting to grow. I, you know, maybe they'll be seven and ten. Maybe they'll be ten and seven. Maybe they'll be somewhere in between. But the team is getting better week by week, and and that's a good sign. And it's funny because going into the season, I thought this team had a lot of talent. This team will go as far as the growth of the head coach and the quarterback. And so far, they seem to be growing together in the right direction. Ira, I agree with you a thousand percent. Thanks for the phone call. And, you know, big picture, don't I wouldn't consume myself yet about the end of the season record one game at a time. 
one at a time. If you want to get a little crazy, break it into quarters. That's what I like to do. Go into quarters. You know, they were 2-2 two and two in the first quarter. And as I said last week, I said, if you go 2-2 two and two again in the second quarter, you guarantee that November, the entire month, is going to be meaningful. And the games are going to be relevant. And they already got one. So maybe now you can start to get a little bit greedy and say, how about winning two out of the next three? I don't think that's unrealistic. I really and truly don't. Johnny and Freehold, up next here on 98.7 ESPN. Johnny, how are you? I'm doing wonderful, Dan, after yesterday. Boy, this team, I tell you, aren't they exciting to watch, Dan? They really are exciting. You could see the growth and the youth and the enthusiasm. And I'm so happy and I'm so proud of Robert Sala, his family, Joe Douglas and his family, their supporting staff, and his entire football team. Because it appears to me that they've bought in, that they want to win, they're hungry, they're going to listen to uh, their coaches, they want to get better, they have a passion for success, and it all starts there. That's your platform to, to, you know, winning formula to build a franchise and move forward in a positive direction. And uh, I'm really proud and happy for Dwayne Brown yesterday. So this is a guy that's been out of football for a while. He's not in ideal shape. I'm sure he would admit that himself. But he came out there yesterday, and he showed leadership, and he showed toughness, and he got that offensive line with a certain mindset, and, and, and they were on a mission, okay? They were, they were dominating the line of scrimmage. And that's the whole thing in the NFL, as far as I'm concerned, is you win games in the trenches, both on the offense and the defensive lines. And yep. they're getting better in both of those areas. You've got the kid, Max Mitchell, who was their best offensive lineman as a rookie, as a fourth-round pick early in the season, the first couple of games there. He's going to be coming back. You got Quincy Williams going sideline to sideline. He's going to be back at some point. And I'm really rooting for this kid, Becton, uh, Dan. I I think this kid, Becton, is young. I think he's got a whole hell of a lot of talent. And I think the coaching staff, along with a guy like Dwayne Brown, could get his mind right. He's got a a family now he's got to worry about. I think you've got to get his mind right. You get him focused. You have him doing 110% in his dedication to his rehab. And you get him back and you plug him in there next year. And that's another guy you're going to add to the mix next year and, and have another big draft, hopefully, and just keep building and growing from there and stacking these wins as we go forward. But with that being said, you know, Aaron Rodgers, we know he's a Hall of Famer. We know what a hostile environment they're going to be going into on Sunday in Green Bay. It's not going to be easy there. And I've heard a lot of talk out there already where Green Bay's, you know, tooting their horn and they're thinking they're going to win this football game. And that's bulletin board material. And I hope that Coach Sala and his staff are putting that up on a bulletin board and using that as a motivating factor because this team isn't getting the full respect yet that they deserve. I know they're young. I know they're inexperienced. I know they're growing. But the things we talked about last week, you and I talked about Brees Hall. He's got, he's got to stop the fumbles. He's got to be better with catching the ball. He was outstanding yesterday. Yeah. I saw a major improvement in that. We talked about the roughing the passive penalties a week ago. They cleaned that up this week. So there are positive steps in the direction. I want to see Jermaine Johnson come on, coming off that edge. I want to see him developing as a rookie. The same thing for Michael Clemens, because I think if they enhance their play and they continue to develop and grow, that offensive line could be yeah. monstrous going John, forward. You, John, you're, you're, you're hitting on good points. I thank you for the phone call. we got to get a break. I mean, John was going through the entire roster there. We would have been here till November. But, I, I mean, I appreciate the call. I appreciate the passion. Um, some fans may know. Some fans may not know. Robert Sala and um, Matt LaFleur, the Packers head coach, they're like best friends, best man at each other's weddings. First time they're going to go head-to-head, at least with both of them being head coaches, should be interesting. And that's why when you talk about the bulletin board material, 
I think that that'll probably be squelched a little bit, at least from the Green Bay side, because you know that both coaches are going to say nothing but glowing things about each other. We'll keep the conversation going on the other side. We'll also talk a little Giants, too. One hour left. Dan Grass's show, Overreaction Monday.